when times are perilous, there is an opportunity for men that is really unprecedented and unparalleled. And I just wanna tell you, you're in the right place, you're at the right time, you're with the right guys. And I wanna tell you that when God wants to, when he wants to mend something that is broken or start something new, he starts by choosing a man. Uh, God did this with Noah in the days of the Old Testament. He chose Noah to build an ark and Noah had responsibility for he and his family. God did this when he went to a man named Abraham and said, I'm gonna start with you and through you is gonna come a son and through that son is gonna come a nation and through that nation is gonna come the son of God who's a savior. We're gonna talk about that a little bit today in Romans four. When God wanted his people led, he raised up a man who was named David to be their king and to lead them. Ultimately, when God wanted the good news of his son, Jesus Christ, to extend to the nations of the earth, he raised up a guy named Paul. And he wrote a book of the Bible called Romans that we've been studying some time together. One thing that is consistent throughout the scriptures is when there is a problem, God starts with a man, and then that man becomes a son of the father and then leads the other men to fix the problem. And what I would submit to you right now is that the, the size of the problem that our nation has is a God-sized problem and men who don't have the spirit of God are not helpful to the problem. And that's why we're meeting here. It's a sober, somber time. If you were like me, I was up late last night, way too late, I'm, I'm tired. And I kept hoping that eventually someone would decide something, but it's America. So I, I stayed up in vain, nothing was decided. And, and where we find ourselves, how many of you are just exhausted? You're tired. The news is all discouraging. And if you're new to Arizona and you felt like this was a conservative state, it's not, it's libertarian. We're between Texas and California. If Texas and California had a baby, they called Arizona, that's a libertarian. <laughs> and libertarian is like a drunk person. They can fall to the left or the right. You just gotta wait and see. And that's, that's how libertarianism works, okay? <laughs> Uh, so this year we fell to the left. Uh, and so where we find ourselves right now is this has been one of the most overwhelming years that we have experienced in our life. Those that have been through the great wars and the great depression, they've been through more. But for most of us, this is just an exhausting year. And I think everyone was just waiting for things to fix themselves. And I think at about midnight last night, we let go of that balloon. No, I guess just let that go. That's gonna fly away. It's not gonna fix itself. Some people just said, well, just give it time. And I'm sure that, you know, life will get back to normal. Seven months ago, we took 15 days to flatten the curve. <laughs> right, and it ain't flat. Um, so what are we gonna do? We could just sit around as guys, like most guys do, and we could just complain or we could figure out what our responsibility is and what God has apportioned us to do and the kind of men he's asked us to be and the kind of people he's called us to bless during this season. And right now, everyone's gonna rage about what should be done. Very few people are making plans for what they're going to do. Lots of people are gonna give lots of comments on what other people are doing, but they're not going to be paying attention to what they're doing. And in God's providence, as we're going through the book of Romans, we just hit chapter four, it's on a guy named Abraham who lived a life by faith. And so as men, he serves as a great case study for all of us. And most of what I share is just gonna be made up on the fly. So if it was good, thank the Holy Spirit. If it's bad, blame me. Um, aren't you glad you don't have your, my job right now? Get up and talk to guys live on the internet about what's going on in America, right? That's fun. 
But here's what I wanna do. I wanna look at one guy's life. I wanna see if we can't learn some things from his life. And I wonder if in examining his life, if God the Holy Spirit wouldn't give us a similar kind of faith to navigate through some similar circumstances. So what we're gonna talk about tonight is fathers in the faith. And part of the crisis that we have in our nation and my sociological analysis will be controversial. I believe we're in the problem we're in is because we've not had good husbands, fathers, and men. Okay, I believe that anytime you're wanting the government to feed people, you're wanting the government to house people, you're wanting the government to protect people, you're wanting the government to educate people, you're wanting the government to save people. All that tells me is that the men weren't doing their job. And that if the men were doing their job, we wouldn't need as much government. And so while everyone is arguing and fighting over you know, what is gonna happen with the government, I would rather focus on the men because I believe if there's any hope for the future, it starts with God raising up us as his men. Uh, here's what he says in Romans four, uh, faith, so it's a, it's a journey and a life of faith. And let me say this, faith is not just optimism. Sometimes people think, well, I have faith, meaning I, I'm, I'm positive in my outlook or I'm optimistic. Okay, let me just say, faith and just optimism or hope are not the same. And uh, even if you're really an optimistic person, that's officially over, amen? You've officially reached the point where you're like, it's gonna be fine. I don't think so. Okay, you just reached that point where emotionally you come to reality. What faith is, faith is not faith in the circumstances. Faith is faith that there is a God over the circumstances. And he's gonna talk in the sermon coming up this Sunday about a hope beyond hope. Hope is what we have in circumstances. Hope beyond hope is when the circumstances provide no hope, there's hope beyond them because God is beyond the circumstances. That's what faith is. Faith says, I don't see, but I trust a God who does see, and I trust that he can help me to navigate what is before me because he sees what is unseen to me. So this man, Abraham, he's the model, he's the prototype of faith. Um, it was counted to him as righteousness. The purpose was to make him the, and here's the word we're gonna focus on. What's the word? Father. What, what God doesn't keep saying over and over and over and over and over and over in the Bible is um, the election, the government, the government, the election, the election, the government, the government, the election. What it says over and over is the father, the father, the father, the father, the father, okay? Because God works through husbands, fathers, and men in a way that he doesn't just organizations and institutions. So he's become the father of all who believed without being circumcised. That just refers to us non-Jewish Gentiles. So the righteousness would be counted to them as well and to make him the, the father. You start to see a theme here. Of the circumcised, those are the Jewish people who are not merely circumcised, but also walk in the footsteps. So what faith is, faith sometimes is really practical. It's just trying to figure out your next step. How many of you right now, you're trying to figure out your next step? You're like, okay, what do I do with my business? What do I do with my investments? What do I do with my family? What do I do with our kids? Right, what, what, what do we do next? Faith is literally sometimes incredibly practical and it is following in the footsteps. It's literally practical life decisions. And let me just say this, somebody needs to make decisions for you and for your family. And you're gonna need to make those decisions in relationship with God and if you're married with your wife. But if you're one of those people that's just paralyzed by fear and not making decisions, and you're not able to move until you see things clear up or get better, you're in a dangerous position. The goal is not just to run ahead or to be paralyzed, but it's to find God's will and to walk in it. And that's what we've all got to find right now. Uh, walking in the footsteps of the faith that our, our father had. 
And he's talking about the circumcised and the uncircumcised. He's talking about the Jew and the Gentile. Abraham was a Gentile, God saved him. And then he became the father of the Jews. So he is the prototype and father of faith for Jews and Gentiles, but he keeps using this language of father. And let me tell you a couple of things about Abraham. Um, I'll make it in the form of a question. Did he have a godly good dad? No. Uh, in Nehemiah and in Acts, I won't get into all the cross references. It says that his dad uh, came from Ur the Chaldees, which was the capital of Babylon. And it was the place that they built the Tower of Babel where all the godless people rebelled against God. So he didn't have a good dad. Didn't have a godly dad, okay? Did he have the Bible? No. The Bible hadn't been written yet. God just spoke some things to him. It was very practical and very specific. Did he have a church to go to? No, he did not. He didn't have a group of men like this, right? He's he may be at that time, maybe the only or one of the only believers on planet earth. So you and I, we, we have far more than he had. Uh, some of you have godly fathers. Some of you have godly spiritual fathers. That's why we're here together. We all have the word of God and also we have the people of God. So we have more resources than Abraham did. We need to be grateful for them. In addition, did Abraham have a great government that was gonna fix the problems? No, he was under the what was essentially ancient Babylon, completely godless. Uh, their culture and their government was entirely corrupt and it was demonic and it was evil. So there was not a government that was there to help him. Uh, in addition, he had a home and he left it. Now he's homeless. He had a nation and he left it. Now he's nationless. He had a company and he left it. Now he's financially in great peril. Not only that, Abraham is a man who feels a great sense of responsibility because his entire household comes with him. This would be relatives, employees, servants, and the like. How many of you right now, you're not just carrying a load for yourself, but also for your wife? How many of you for your wife, your kids? How many of you for your business? Okay. And you've got employees and people, and we're all wondering, we're all wondering, what does the future hold? And what happens is when we look into the future, if all we do is look at the circumstances, all we're going to have is fear. So, so let's just be honest right now, just looking at our country today in this moment, snapshot, what are the things that could cause us, reasonably so if that's all we looked at, tremendous fear. Socialism. I mean, if, if any of you are familiar with socialism or like me, you've traveled the world, or if any of you are Cuban, you're like, or Venezuelan, you're like, I'm just telling you, there's no pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. Okay, but there's a whole generation that is moving that direction very, very quickly. And it started in academia, it started in the academy, and it started in places where professionals get to pontificate ideas on naive young minds paid for by those who go to work and actually generate revenue through taxes. Okay. What else, if we looked at, could be very terrifying? Persecution of the church. I mean, if we do get some of the things that those of us who read the news are a little concerned about, I mean, you could look at, at the name of, uh, in the name of tolerance, diversity, um, you could look at a lack of freedom of religion, freedom of speech, freedom of assembly. I mean, we're next to a country that's made it illegal to sing to Jesus. I mean, that's, that's a state that's next to us, but it's, it's operating like another country. In addition, when we look at things like, okay, well, they'll just pack the Supreme Court and keep putting people on it until they get the votes they want. Like, well, that's, that's concerning. And as, and, and as liberties are being sort of reduced around the country, 
I mean, I, I got a text from a friend of mine who's got a church in the city told him this week, uh, you either stop meeting or we're going to shut off all your utilities. I think, okay, uh, freedom of speech, religion, assembly. I, I mean, was that in pencil? I mean, was, you know, was that in pencil? Like, are we, do we get to do that anymore? Or what else could we be afraid of looking at? Well, disease, there's sickness and some people are getting sick and some people are dying and some people are in high risk categories and there are health concerns as well. So now we've got economic concerns, we've got political concerns, we've got religious concerns, we've got social liberties concerns, we've got health concerns, anything else? Okay. Educational? I mean, some of you can't send, yeah, well, I mean, we're in the process right now where if everything goes the way that it may go, we could be taking more of human life than ever. Education, how many of you right now just educating your own kids has gotten really super complicated. I was dealing with a parent recently, they're in another state, their kid is on a Zoom call eight hours a day and they're not allowed because the kids are minors to show their faces for privacy laws. So their kid is sitting there like 10 years of age, looking at 35 blank boxes on Zoom all day, every day. You start to think emotionally, what does that do to someone? Okay. Alienation, there's a difference between solitude and isolation. Solitude is where you choose it. Isolation is imposed on you. Solitude is where you go to refresh yourself in God's presence. Isolation is what we do to prisoners. We put them in solitary confinement to punish them and make them go crazy. So there's the emotional psychological that we're all dealing with. And then the consideration, are we gonna shut down the economy again? How many of you have got a business and you're like, I don't know how many times I can close it indefinitely. And how many of you not only believe in Jesus, but math? And you're like, if we do close it, you can't just keep sending everybody checks indefinitely. And how many of you look at it for your kids and your grandkids? And right now you're like, they just took away all their jobs and we just handed them tremendous debt. That's their future. And then you got people running for office saying, that's okay, we'll tax the rich. And here's what I know about rich people, they're smart. <laughs> and they can afford lawyers and accountants and they find a way to generate revenue without giving it all to the government. I mean, it's, we just live in this bizarre world where if you look at the future and you look at reality and you don't have some measure of anxiety, you're not sane. Amen. Okay, you're not sane. Okay, so, but if all we see is that, the result is fear. Okay, so right now, how is that fear manifesting itself for some of you guys, or not you, I know you guys are all filled with the Holy Spirit and you don't have any problems. But let's say some, some guy you know, we'll use him as a case study. So what are some ways that men right now are being driven by fear? Alcohol? More ammo. More ammo. <laughs> okay, that's okay, <laughs> you know? Those together may not be the best go forward plan. Like, right? I mean, it's like, I mean, when you have a fifth in one hand and a loaded gun in the other, usually the will of God is not on the horizon. I'm just telling you. <laughs> but guys are drinking more than ever, self-medicating. Many guys are relapsing because of stress and anxiety and isolation. Everyone's buying guns. Even the, the pacifists now are buying guns. I mean, it's crazy. Everybody's trying to load up because there is this sense, you know what? The whole world is dangerous, but at least I can maintain safety on the other side of my front door, okay? What, what other ways are men responding to the fear? 
Political news, how many of you, you've been on the news, you've been watching the news, you've been paying attention to the news, you, you're like watching the news. How many of you, you're like, is it a, is it a, is it a blue dot? Is it a red dot or, you know, uh, right? And how many of you are like, I moved to Arizona to avoid this. You guys did this again? Like I, how many of you just got here from California and you're like, dang it. <laughs> right? Dang it. Well, you know, and the rest of us are like, you better change your, license plate, otherwise you're probably gonna get that guy with the alcohol and the ammo is gonna deal with you. He thinks you caused this mess, okay? What other ways are men dealing with it in fear? Taking their stress out on their family. Stress out on their family. I, I snapped at my wife this week, okay? Her name's Grace. That's, so that means she probably didn't deserve it, amen? Like if, if, if your wife is named like Lucifer, she probably deserved it. <laughs> My wife's name is Grace. And she's like, you're grumpy. I was like, you know what? I am grumpy. She's like, what did I do? I was like, I don't think you did anything. I think the earth has me troubled, but you just happen to be the closest. And so you're getting some of the pushback on that. Okay. How many of you with your kids, you've been a little grumpy or you've been just a little out of it. You just literally been a little PTSD, little shell shock and you're not emotionally present because you're wondering, you're trying to game plan. And this is what we tend to do as men. Okay, what's gonna happen? And then how do I prepare? And how many of you realize you could run a thousand scenarios and even those thousand may not be the thing that actually happens. We're, we're totally off the map now. Other ways that men are responding in fear. What's that? Pornography. It's, it's, it's interesting. What was that? Yeah, when, when, uh, when the pandemic hit, um, when everything started, most of those subscription porn sites started giving away the first month tree free trial offer, okay? It's like, it's like heroin. Nobody ever advertised heroin. You just give it away and then they come back. So men are into addictions. They're self-medicating, diversionary tactics, anger. How about if you go on social media? Does that help? No, how about, what is everybody talking about? The same thing. Is that life-giving, hopeful, energizing? No, and then the conspiracy theorists jump in. And some of you are like, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> yeah, you are, <laughs> you are. And, and all of a sudden now the fear just escalates. What I would submit to you is we have had an incredible level of fear all year that just went to a level that many of us have never experienced. We may have experienced it on a personal level, but not on a national level. And the problem is when you experience fear on a personal level, you can go to people who are not experiencing that level of fear and they can help you. If we're all experiencing that level of fear, what do we do? We just continually to escalate and agitate one another. And so really in moments like this, and again, Abraham is in a tenuous place. He's lost his nation, he's lost his house, he's lost his uh, extended family, he's lost his income stream, he's picked up a new God and he's not sure what's next. Where Paul is referencing Abraham, it's between the times. He's left everything, but he's not yet received everything. He had a life and it seems like that has come to an end. God says that there is hope in a future, but that has not yet arrived. He's in the place that we are. The place of what I knew seems to be over and what is coming is uncertain. And faith is for living in that middle place. 
Faith is for God says that there is a future, but I don't see that there's a future. I will trust what God says. I will not trust what I see, okay? Because see, ultimately, fear is what happens when we trust in what we see. Faith is what happens when we trust in what God says, okay? That's why it's by faith, not by sight. And what he's saying here for Abraham is this, is that Abraham is a guy who is a father for us all. So let me talk about fathers, because what I believe in this moment, there is an incredible need for, for fathers. We have two kinds of fathers. We have biological fathers. Some of you have kids. You are the leader of the family. You have to make some decisions to lead your family and help them be healthy. We also have spiritual fathers. Spiritual fathers just help us grow in our faith. For the Jewish people, Abraham is their physical father. For we who are believers, uh, Abraham is our spiritual father. Spiritual fathers would include, for example, this man, Paul, who writes this book to the Romans. He calls Timothy, Titus, and Esimus, you're my sons. You're my sons. He doesn't have biological children insofar as we can tell, but he has spiritual uh, leadership that is fatherly. Um, and let me tell you why fatherly leadership right now is so crucial because a father has authority and kindness, okay? I'll just say some things that I shouldn't, but um, right now we have two candidates that are duking it out. One has authority and the other has kindness. Fatherly leadership has authority and kindness, okay? Because fatherly leadership is the father heart of God. When Jesus speaks of God, he speaks of him as father. Jesus' most popular name for God is father. Uh, prior to Jesus uh, in the Old Testament, roughly 15-ish times, God was referred to in paternal terms as father, uh, but it was usually national, not personal. And in the entire Old Testament, it was very, very rare. Jesus comes and he teaches us to pray, our father, and he prays, father. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, he refers to God as Father, I think it's 165 times. The number one title that Jesus has for God is Father. Prior to Jesus, there is no evidence outside of the Bible that any religious group called on God as Father. It's a completely new concept in the history of the world. And so what, what Jesus does for us, he says that fatherhood is based upon the fatherhood of God and that the father's heart should come from the father heart of God. And the thing that I, I love about referring to God as father, it refers to his authority and his kindness. A father is the one who is over you, but he's for you. A father is one who um, has power, but uses it to bless you and not to beat you, okay? How many of you tend to think of God more in terms of his power? How many of you think of him more in terms of his kindness? When God is referred to as father, his power is for us and his kindness is with us, okay? And what that means is first as men to be physical and spiritual fathers, we need to understand God the Father, and then we need to have the Father's heart and to follow the Father's example. Now, part of the problem in this is if you walk into the average evangelical church, they're gonna talk a lot about Jesus as the Son of God, very little about God the Father, very little. Uh, if you walk into a Pentecostal or charismatic church, they're gonna talk a lot about 
the Holy Spirit, but not a lot about God as Father. I can't think of any major denomination, network, team, tradition, or tribe within Christianity that really has a robust understanding of God the Father. When it comes to the Trinity, we know a lot about Jesus. Some of us know a lot about the Holy Spirit. Most have very little concept of Father. And when, when we're talking about faith and fatherhood, faith is really trusting first and foremost that you have a father. It's trusting that you have a father. That's where faith begins. That there is a father who has authority and power and he has kindness and mercy. He is over you and he is for you and he is with you. He's not against you. You need to know that your faith is in your father. And what that does is that helps to diminish your fear. Okay. How many of you have um, a, a child and their level of fear is different when you are present? You dads notice that? Okay. We had a season, um, I'm just gonna verbal process and then close in prayer. Uh, we had a season where uh, our family was under great crisis, duress, opposition, death threats, pickets, protests, total craziness. And um, there was uh, one day when the media tried to flush me out of our home for a gotcha interview on the other side of the fence. So they sent a, a news helicopter over our house. I pulled the kids in the house. I didn't know what was going on. I was like, that's weird. There's a helicopter. I was like, what's flying right over our house? So I pulled the kids in. That night, um, it was dinner time and we're all a bit shook up and um, came outside and uh, came out of my office rather into the kitchen and there was my youngest son and he was wearing uh, a military jacket that I had bought him and he was carrying his airsoft gun. He was a little guy. <laughs> and I, and I, I looked at him, I said, what's up little buddy? And he said, dad, is this jacket uh, bulletproof? I said, no, little buddy, that's just a jacket. I said, why? He said, well, if the bad guys come back, I wanna defend the family. He thought it was snipers. All he'd ever seen is when the helicopter comes over the house, the bad guys shoot. And so he's thinking that literally our family is under attack. Uh, my little buddy then, uh, he, uh, he had panic attacks for months. I couldn't leave him alone in a room because he literally would have a panic attack. Uh, he, he didn't sleep in his bed for months. I told him, no buddy, that was a news organization just trying to flush daddy out and that was not the bad guys. But for him, what he saw just filled him with fear, okay? It filled him with fear. Uh, I couldn't get him to go on a, um, on a baseball field. He, he, was a, he was a great little baseball player, made the all-star team. And I would stand with him on the precipice of the field and he literally would have a panic attack. Um, I finally told him one day, I said, well, what if I cross over the line and go to practice with you? He said, dad, I'll go to the practice if, if you're with me. So I've got a little boy who's got, I don't know, PTSD, panic attacks. He's, he's had rocks thrown at him at the yard from critics and haters. He's been going to church with a police escort. I mean, he's seen his dad preaching a bulletproof vest. I mean, he's, he's a little guy, he's got reasons for fear. Um, this has been his normal. And then what I realized was, he's better if I'm with him. If I'm not there, he's not okay. And so at uh, all-star practice, I told the coach, I said, uh, I said, my little buddy's not doing so good. Um, 
and he really doesn't do well unless his dad's with him. I said, I know this is weird and I'm sorry, but when he goes to practice, can I, can I be on the field? I'll pretend like I'm a coach or whatever we need to do. He just needs me around. Otherwise he's gripped by fear. Um, there was other times that uh, like we'd be sitting in the truck and there was one day he forgot something in the house. And he's like, dad, I need to go get something in the house. And I said, uh, okay, buddy. And he looked at me. He's like, well, I need you to go with me. I was like, well, little buddy, I'm your dad. So I go in. I'll get out of the truck and go in with you. Because there was one time previously that I just told him, hey, little buddy, you can do that. Go in and get it. And I waited in the truck for 15 minutes and I went in the house and there was my little buddy and he was having a panic attack just because he was in the house alone. Okay. What I realized with my little buddy is that when he looked, he was gripped with fear. But if I was there, faith in his father diminished his fear. And so I just literally, I, I, I took months off of work and I literally just hung out with Grace and the kids. And part of it was I was always just trying to literally be near him to just calm him down, just to keep him sort of centered. Because when his dad was there, guess what? He was okay. Because if I was there, he knew that I would take care of it. If I'm not there, who does he think's got to take care of it? He's got to take care of it. And he feels overwhelmed by what he may have to take care of. Okay? Here's what I'm telling you, men. It doesn't matter how old you are, you're still the father's son. And some of you are grown men and some of you are strong men and some of you are tough men and some of you are natural leaders. But every single man has a certain pain threshold that when he finds it, uh, he, he has fear. I've found the limits of my humanity as a man. We've all found those limits. What I don't wanna do is get a bunch of guys together here and say, you're tough, you're a man, eat meat, push it out your colon, you know, fight. Uh, what, what I'm gonna tell you is you're mortal, you're sons, you have a father, you need to take responsibility, but every one of us at certain points finds the limits of our humanity and it is fear that will paralyze us, but it's faith that will deliver us only if we know who the father is. Because faith is worthless unless you have a father who's faithful. See, my little buddy in the crisis, he trusted me, so I needed to be a dependable dad. If he's gonna trust me, I gotta be there for him. And by God's grace, I did everything I could to be there for him. And he's healed up, he's doing great. Um, he's leading in the back. He told me this week, dad, I feel called to be a pastor and I, I think someday I'm gonna take your job. <laughs> I, was like, I was like, well, that'd be fine. Um, I'd rather listen to you preach the gospel than preach it. Um, I don't know what God has for him, but I know that God has delivered him. But what I did with my little buddy in those seasons, I kept telling him, I'm your father. And not only that, you and I both have a father. And our father is powerful and authoritative. He's also kind and present. And he sees things that we don't see. He knows things that we don't know and he can do things that we can't do. And when we look at all the things that we need to deal with or do, we can be gripped with fear. And faith is not just hoping, 
Faith is not just optimism. Faith is not just, you know, a positive outlook. Faith is saying, I have a father and he's got power and kindness. And when I go, I don't go alone. He goes with me and he goes for me. Okay. And so for you men, what you need to know, and some of you may not be feeling this as much today, but I'm guessing that many of you are. And if you're not feeling it, let me just say that you know people that are. You know people now that are gripped with fear. And this is where people start to make really irrational decisions. Uh, this is where people self-destruct, they self-medicate, um, they liquidate all their assets. They, they, just, they make all kinds of rash, impulsive decisions that don't have any real long-term wisdom to them. And I'm just telling you, I don't think it's getting better anytime soon. I don't think that tonight is gonna be a peaceful place in a lot of cities in America. I don't believe that tomorrow um, there's gonna be a rosy economic outlook for the fourth quarter. I don't think that there's going to be a really sure place to park your investments in your retirement, not in the short term. Um, I think that they're gonna tell you that in the next few days, they'll tell us who the president is, and then it's gonna be a lawyer slug fest and a media mudslinging fest, and then we're gonna hit the holidays and everything is gonna be really awkward, okay? And so if, if you're saying, okay, Mark, where's the hope? Well, it's, you're gonna need your father. You're gonna need to find your dad. And you're gonna need to get the Father's heart so that then you can be not only one who has faith in the Father, but then brings, um, brings that heart of the Father to others. Let me just say, everyone in your life is gonna get the worst version of you unless you get the relationship with the Father figured out, okay? And so when he says that Abraham is our father in the faith, the first thing is that Abraham didn't have a good earthly father, but he knew the heavenly father and his faith was in the heavenly father. That Abraham has a whole bunch of stuff just like we do that's really practical and real and it's really scary and it can be fear-based. But the thing that kept Abraham marching forward in his life was not just courage or determination or optimism or hope or a positive outlook or a guarantee that it was all gonna be better. All he did was just try to every day find the father, be a good son and walk in the father's will. And that's the journey of faith and following in his footsteps, that's exactly what that looks like quite practically. And let me say why this is so important because not only are you following the father, people are following you, okay? If you're married, your wife is following you. If you're a parent, your children are following you. If you're, um, if you're a grandparent, grandfather, your grandkids are following you. Uh, if you're an employer or a manager in your company, your employees are following you. If, if you're a big brother in your family, the siblings are probably following you. If you have relationships with people and they look to you, but as the leader or the Christian in the relationship, they're going to fall. They're gonna follow you. And I'll tell you what, we're not gonna stand before God and give an account for the election. We're not gonna stand before God and give an account for the economy. We're not gonna stand before God and give an account for the lawyers. We're not gonna stand before God and give an account for the Supreme Court. We are gonna stand before God and give an account for ourselves and the people that we were supposed to lead. 
And what I'm telling you is, even if everything is not okay, you need to grow in your relationship with God the Father so that you can be okay, and that the people who depend on you get the best version of you, and that you can help them to be okay. And so what I'm really driving at for you men is this is this moment in history where everyone gets to literally make one of two choices, fear or faith. That's where we're at. See, previously they put on the clock time rather than fear of faith, we'll just give it time. That didn't work, right? Faith or fear, we'll just wait for things to get better. They're not getting better. And the Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And I believe that often at work behind fear is a demonic spirit of division, of self-destruction, of anxiety that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And that's a lot of what's happening right now. And if you submit or surrender yourself to the spirit of fear, it is, it is like being demon possessed. You are literally giving over your emotional well being and your decision making to the spirit of fear. The Bible says that God has not given us a spirit of fear, but it does say that perfect love casts out fear. And so what I'm telling you is you get news and you're running the numbers and some of you are unemployed and you're looking at the future. And for those of us who are fathers and love our kids and grandfathers who love their kids, you're looking at it, you're like, where does this go? I mean, debt, socialism, riots, critical theory, abortion, like what does this look like in 50 years? You know? when the kid who's getting born this week is my age, what universe does he walk into, okay? That ultimately those who are living out of fear, um, they're not going to ever find the will of God. I've never seen a human being find the will of God by choosing the spirit of fear. The will of God only comes in faith. God only blesses faith. And it's ultimately faith in his word. It says over and over here in Romans that Abraham believed the promises of God. God said something and he believed that. So it's not just, it's not just hope, it's not just optimism. It's knowing the will of God, it's knowing the word of God and it's walking in that path until you see God show up and provide in supernatural ways. Which he does for Abraham, he has for me and, and I hope, trust and pray he will for you. But that being said, the Bible says that perfect love casts out fear. And I'm telling you what that love is, that is knowing your father. And that all love ultimately comes from the father, through the son, by the spirit to you. And that ultimately the thing that will diminish our fear levels in our decision-making is faith in a father who loves us, meaning he has authority over us and he has kindness toward us. And here's what I'm asking you men to do. I'm asking you men to not act like all the other men. Don't just blame a political party. Don't just enter into all the stupid nonsensical debates. Don't fall into the racial division. Don't, um, don't just self-medicate. Don't just self-destruct. Don't just sit around and talk politics all day. Don't just get grumpy with your wife. Don't just tune out on your kids. Don't just rack up your debt. Don't just pour another drink. Don't, don't download another porn video. Decide to make decisions in the spirit of faith. 
and decide to make decisions that will get you closer to the Father under these circumstances and make you more like the Father through these circumstances. And I'm telling you that if ultimately you and I will choose another path, and it's a, it's a bit more perilous path, if I'm honest, it's a less trodden path. It's the path of faith. It's saying, you know what? I do believe that there is a God. I do believe that. I do believe that when I pray that there is a God who hears me. I do believe when I read the word of God, there is a God who speaks to me. I do believe that there is a God who knows the future and he could direct my paths to be prepared for it. I do believe that there is a God who has supernatural provisions and resources and he could meet needs for me. I do believe that there is hope beyond this life. I do believe that over the kings and the presidents is a king of kings. I do believe that when things get as bad as they possibly can, sometimes it's the best opportunity for the gospel of Jesus Christ because everybody's tried everything else and it didn't work and finally they're down to their last resort. And I believe that if people have lost hope in this world, maybe it's time to tell them that there is a better one. And if, and I do believe that there is a kingdom and I do believe that the culture of that kingdom can live in our hearts, in our relationships, in our homes, in our families, in our church. And I believe that we can invite the kingdom of God so that we can live thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And let me tell you, that might be out here, but I'm just telling you for this little piece of real estate that I'm responsible for and you men that I have the privilege of leading, this is going to be a place that belongs to Jesus Christ. This is going to be a place that will be ruled by the spirit of God. This is a place that will be obedient to the word of God. This is a place where men will come to get strong and healthy and to be built up in the father heart of God and then go forth with the father heart of God. Our wives are gonna get treated differently through this, different than the way other men are treating their wives. Our children are gonna be treated differently through this, differently than the way that other men are treating their children. We're going to treat our technology and our alcohol and our finances and our anger and our words. We're going to invest them in the kingdom of God. We're not going to waste them in stupidity and foolishness. This is a wonderful opportunity for men who have faith to actually exercise it. And for those who don't have faith to hear about Jesus Christ so that they can come to faith. Now we have been open since June. We have seen God double our church. We have seen many people come to salvation. We have seen God triple the number of children. We are seeing that this world is an absolute disaster and that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the only hope that we have, okay? So I wanna honor you men for being here. This is not the big rah-rah talk. This is uh, the halftime speech and we decide when we go out for the second half of the game, what the team plays like. But I'm just telling you, men, you have a father. You have a father. He has authority and he has kindness. And when the fear comes, what you need to do is find your father. You need to get close to your dad. You need to stick close to your dad. You need to listen to your dad. You need to unburden to your dad. You need to trust your dad. Sometimes you need to shed your tears and give your plans to your dad. And I believe that what we are about to see, to be totally honest with you, I believe that this is a possibility for the church of Jesus Christ in America to finally, for the first time, get to know the Father God. I believe it's that time. Okay.
so that's my uh, verbal process for a bit. But I want you men to covenant with me that we're gonna be his sons. And what we say and what we do and where we go and how we behave and how we respond is as the father's sons. Father God, thank you for an opportunity to be together with the men and Lord God, I just think of the words of the Lord Jesus where it says, in this world, you will have trouble. Well, Lord, that's true. We have economic trouble. We have medical trouble. We have racial trouble. We have political trouble. We have social trouble. We have media trouble. We have legal trouble. I can't think of anywhere we don't have trouble. But Jesus, you make the promise that you have overcome the world and that you have a peace for us, a peace that surpasses understanding. Lord God, we reject optimism and we choose faith. We reject just uh, naive hopefulness and we choose faith. Uh, We reject just positive thinking and we choose faith. And Lord, faith is not in what we see, um, but in what you say. And faith is not in this world, uh, but it is in the world that is coming. And Lord, I pray for each of these men right now that you would just drop on them a supernatural spirit of sonship, that they would know that they have a father who loves them and forgives them, who cares for them, who will protect them, who will provide for them, who will lead them, who will guide them, who will strengthen them, who will encourage them. And God, just like my little buddy wouldn't walk on the field, God, you're walking on the field with him. Just like when my little buddy would have anxiety when he was alone, they're not alone. And so Lord, I pray that they would, they would walk in your presence, that they would walk in your peace, that they would walk in your provision. And Father, I just wanna thank you. What this world doesn't need is more fighting. It needs more fathers. It doesn't need more elections. It needs more fathers. It doesn't need more government. It needs more fathers. It, it doesn't need more pundits. It needs more fathers. It doesn't need more lawyers. It needs more fathers, spiritual and physical fathers who can love and lead with the father heart of God. And Lord, I thank you for this supernatural opportunity that you've given us as men, that our homes can be like the Father's house, that our families can be like the Father's family, and that Lord, in a world that is really in crisis, that we could bring Christ in whose name we pray, amen. Love you guys.